So we're going to be in the book of Mark chapter 4, and you can also put a finger in 1 Peter chapter 5 because I'm going to read a text from there as well. Uh, but today is really a special day in the life of the church, and I've already talked about it briefly during the announcements. We're kicking off Vacation Bible School 2018, and I love Vacation Bible School because it has a, such a far-reaching effect uh, to be able to minister the gospel to kids. Um, we have a good rapport in our town, and so we normally have a very large VBS uh, attendance, and so we're looking forward to this year. It's a little different. Uh, so we're going to kind of see how that goes as we go. But our prayer is uh, not only will we be able to reach the kids, uh, but we'll be able to reach their parents. And, and that's kind of our goal uh, this year. And so I'd encourage you to pray with us for that. And, and over the next five Sundays, we're going to be having this opportunity to share the gospel. Uh, but because of the change in format, moving from Monday through Friday to five Sundays, I'm going to do something from the pulpit that I've never done before. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to preach a series that goes in line with Vacation Bible School. So basically what I'm going to do is take each of the five emphasis, daily emphasis points, and then I'm going to preach them over the next five Sundays. Today's emphasis point for VBS is simply Jesus cares for me. And so today, that's what I'm going to be preaching a message on, is on the care that we have in Jesus. Now, that sounds like a very simple yet uh, profound thought that Jesus would care for us, yet I think that, that we would be amazed if we truly knew how many Christians in our culture, Christians, I'm not talking about the world, I'm talking about believers, Christians, um, in our world today that simply don't understand that Jesus cares about them simply don't really comprehend what that means that Jesus cares about them. As a matter of fact, when I was studying for this this week, I, I came across, and I was doing some research, and, and I came across this journal entry, and, and it was on a Christian site, okay? It was on a Christian site, not a worldly site. And the title uh, of the article was, Does Anybody Really Care About Me? And here, I want to read this to you because it really sums up what I discovered. Not just I expect our world to feel this way, but when I started to see, and as a pastor, I've seen it too, uh, counseling with different people, but, but just a really poor understanding of how much Jesus cares for us and the fact that he does. But I want to read this to you. It's very profound. Listen to what he, this, this person said. The opening of it said this. If you think about it, people always care when you die. They cry and they get sad. But do they really care about you? No. Personally, I don't feel loved. If I died, nobody would care. People say that all the time, I know. But honestly, if you could only live in my shoes, oh my, I don't even know. I'm just so lonely. I have people in my life, yes, but they simply don't care about me. And, and that really broke my heart. Because over the course of the last week, as I was thinking about this message, I, I began to think back in my ministry. And I can't count how many times I've counseled as a youth pastor with students, or with a student and their parents, or even as a pastor with somebody in the church, who, who just simply doesn't feel cared for. They just simply don't feel Love, Like we talk about and we, we sing songs like Jesus loves me, this I know, and, and we know that, but when it comes to the core, we don't often feel like that. We don't feel love. Now, before I get into this too far, I want to make a, a statement. 
Christianity is way more about truth than feeling. Because there are oftentimes you don't feel something. I don't feel loved. I don't feel saved. But Christianity is based on fact of truth, okay? So I'm going to say that first. But the reality is we don't often feel that way. And it's really sad, but I want you to know that, that uh, this idea of people not caring for you is not new. And it's not exclusive to our culture. It's not exclusive to our current age in the church. It's not exclusive uh, to, to just simply um, who we are at Walika. Th- this actually has very deep roots that, that go way back. Now, I don't know exactly how far it goes. I don't know in Scripture how far it goes back to people feeling like they, nobody cares about them. But I do know that David said in Psalm 142, this is David's words in Psalm 142. And you remember, David is a man after God's own heart. That's what God called him. Okay, now listen to what David said in Psalm 142. He says, and it's Psalm 142, verse 4, Look on my right hand and see, for there is no one who acknowledges me. Refuge has failed me. No one cares for my soul. So even David had a, an experience where he encountered a time in his life where he didn't feel cared for. He didn't feel care in his life. Now, is that true? Is it really true that no one cares for David? Is it really true that no one cares for the church? Is it really true that no one cares for you as a follower of Jesus Christ? Is it true that no one cares for you? Well, let's find out this morning. If you have your Bibles in Mark chapter 4, I'm going to ask you to read with me and stand with me as we read in Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 35. The Word of God says in Mark chapter 4, verse 35, On the same day, when evening had come, he he being Jesus, said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him, and they said to him, Listen, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose, and he rebuked the wind and the sea, and said, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm. Now flip over to 1 Peter chapter 5. I'm going to read a verse from there. It's 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. Peter says this in verse uh, 6 of chapter 5. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that me, he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Let's pray. God, today, I pray that you'd bless the reading of your word. Now, as we begin to examine it this morning, I pray that I would decrease and your spirit living in me would increase and the words this morning would not be mine, but yours. And Father, I have an overwhelming sense in my heart and in my spirit that there are many here that need to feel your comfort today, that there are many here that have forgotten that you comfort us, that you care for us. Father, you haven't left us alone in our trials. You haven't left us alone in our problems. Father, you are a God that cares 
for us deeply, and I pray as we examine this thought this morning that you would bring an amount of care that brings comfort and encouragement to each of us, that, Father, it would rekindle us into a passionate, vibrant walk with you, and that, Father, you would receive the glory and the honor and the praise is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So in the passages in the scripture of Mark that we just read, we read about how the disciples, they, they, Jesus had told them to get in the boat, and they were going to cross the other side, and we read how the disciples get in the boat, and they're going to cross. Jesus crawls up in the stern, and he goes to sleep, and they're crossing and getting ready to cross the other side, and then a storm broke out, and they became very afraid. Now, I want you to note something about this storm. A lot of times, these disciples get a bad rap, and they'll go, you know, how bad could the storm be? They're not on the ocean. They're in the sea, okay? So in the Sea of Galilee. So how, how big it is? So I want you to know that the, the Greek word used for, for windstorm is the same word that we would use for hurricane, okay? Now, and it's also important to remember that these, many of these that were in the boat were fishermen, Therefore, they were used to storms. As a matter of fact, because of the sea they were on and because of its location, it was not uncommon for storms to settle in out of nowhere. That was not uncommon. The cool air from, uh, from the mountains that surrounded it would come down. The warm air from the sea would connect, and, and there would be storms all the time. And these fishermen, many of them, they would have had experienced that a lot. But this storm is not like any storm. This storm is significant. This is a severe, tumultuous windstorm. It is the same word that the Greeks would have used to describe a hurricane. Now, I don't know about you. I've never been in a hurricane, but I've been in some tornadoes, okay? And they're not fun. That type of situation is not enjoyable, okay? And, and so you can get this picture. They're in a boat, and these boats aren't like what we have today. The boat is filling up, and they really feel like they're about to die. So don't give them a bad rap for, for questioning and wanting to know what Jesus is doing. They're legitimately scared because they had never experienced anything like this before. And here they are in this boat, and they're worried, and they look, and there's Jesus, and he's asleep. So what do they do? They go to Jesus, and they ask him a question. That question simply is, don't you care? Do you not care that we are perishing? They got to the point where they weren't sure. Like they, they'd been around Jesus, they'd experienced the miracles of Jesus, they had been personally touched by Jesus, they, they knew Jesus showed a tremendous amount of care, they had just come off ministering to thousands of people where they saw the care of Jesus and the way he looked at people, and here they are, and now the storm hits, and they start to question, do you care? I, I want you to know, as a believer, I found myself in that situation before. And I know there are other people in this room right now that are in that situation right now. They're in a storm, and, they're one, and you're starting to wonder, do you care? Do you care? Just like the disciples did. But then we read in Peter, Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, Cast all your cares upon the Lord. That means your burdens, your worries, your problems, your circumstances, your situations, all of those. Cast those on the Lord, for he cares for you. Now, here, here's something significant. What made Peter go from being in a boat with a storm, questioning whether or not Jesus cares for them, to being Peter who ex exhorts all believers to cast all their cares on Christ or on God because he does care 
for them. How come Peter made such a transition? How did Peter get to, from being one who questioned Jesus' care to being a Peter who acknowledges and, and exhorts others to trust in Jesus' care because it for sure is there. He is the God of comfort. He is the God who cares for us. How did he get to that point? Well, I believe that Peter and all the other disciples had experienced the true care of Christ, and it was that same care that you and I were experiencing him. And so what I want us to see this morning is I want to, I've taken, 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 I, I took the word care and I've created an acrostic for the word, for, for, for Jesus's care. And I want us to see, and now there are more, I've just broke it down into four, but I want us to see some different ways the disciples experienced the care of Jesus that enabled them to say, cast your cares on God for he does care for you. Because it is the same comfort, the same care that he wants to give you and I this morning that we all need. The first one I want us to see is the letter C. And the letter C stands for, he, he gives us comforting care. Comforting care. You see, in the disciples' lives, there were many times when, when they, they needed to feel comforted, where they were struggling, where they, they needed a, a comforting touch if you will, and, and they not a superficial comfort, not a, oh, I love you, I love you, I'm there for but a real comfort. They, they needed a real, not superficial, a real comfort, and, and a true, intimate, nurturing comfort. And in Christ, this idea is explicitly taught the type of comfort that we get when we need that. And Jesus taught it in the Beatitudes. As a matter of fact, in the Beatitudes, he says it like this, blessed are they who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And, and I can think of no greater time when any of us need a, a nurturing, truth, truthfully caring, com comforting care and when we lose a loved one. We, we need that. We, we need someone that can put their arms around us. You know, as a pastor, I've learned a significant, uh, something significant, and, and it evaded me for years. I always felt like when someone died, it was hard for me to go make the visits because I didn't know what to say. And I struggled with what to say. What do you say? What do you say to a family who's losing a loved one in that moment? What do you say to a family? And we experienced this as a family when we first moved here. What do you say to a family who is saying goodbye to an eight-year-old boy? Like, what do you say? And then, then this, this, this wisdom was brought to me by an older pastor who said, it's not about what you say, it's about your presence. You see, people most often, unless you say something really stupid, they're not going to remember what you say, but they will remember your presence and they'll remember the comfort. They'll remember the nurturing that you gave to them. You, they will remember that. And, and that's exactly what the disciples had experienced. Now, there's a story of this in, in Matthew chapter 4. Um, the disciples of John, not, not John the disciple, but John the Baptist. The disciples of John the Baptist, after John the Baptist was sentenced to die and to be beheaded, the Bible says that, that John the Baptist was beheaded, and the disciples, John's disciples, took the body, buried it, and then went and told Jesus. And that's exactly what it says. They took the body, and they buried it, and then went and told Jesus. 
For a long time, I wondered what that meant about going and telling Jesus. Why would they do that? I mean, he is, he is the God incarnate. He is the God-man. He is God in the flesh. And so the idea of having to educate Jesus on something that he wouldn't know kind of made me question a lot of theology. And then I realized something, and that is, in my opinion, and again, it's my opinion, but I think it's right, they weren't telling Jesus for their benefit or for his benefit. They were telling Jesus for theirs. It wasn't about going and educating Jesus. They went to the one person that they knew they could find comfort. And that's exactly what Jesus taught. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And in Christ, we have a comforting care that we have. Paul sums it up nicely. He, he says it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, listen, and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our tribulations. You see, we are never alone in our trials. We are never alone in our troubles. We are never alone in the storm. We have nothing to be afraid of because in the storm, Jesus provides comfort. Number two, not only does he bring a caring comfort to us, but the letter A stands for aiding care. He brings aid to us that gives, that shows his care. Now, as a parent, um, when I was young in my ministry and had one child, Galen, who had run around, and one night I was talking to a, a deacon in our church at Lone Grove, an older older man, a very wise man. Um, he was one of those deacons that in deacons meetings, uh, he never spoke, but when he did, everybody listened because he just, he never spoke. And when he did, it was important. And we were talking after church one night and she, Galen ran up to me and she had done something. I don't know if she had fallen, skinned her knee. I don't remember exactly what she did, but I remember her coming to me crying and I'm talking to this deacon and I kind of, pushed her aside. And I was like, wait, just wait a minute. And I tried to finish my conversation. And that man, I'll be forever grateful for this. He stopped me and he said, don't ever do that to your daughter or your child. And I was like, what, do what? And he said, if you want your children to come to you with serious issues when they get older, so you can help them, don't turn them away when they're little, when they have issues. Because at that moment, the biggest issue in your daughter's life was that skin knee. That was the biggest issue in her life. And if you push that aside and you let her know that that's not important, guess what's going to happen when she needs something in her life when she's older? Guess who she's going to go to? It ain't going to be you because you've already set the standard that you're not there for her to give her the aid that she needs. Now, I wonder about that as believers in Christ. I wonder how often we find ourselves in a situation where we need aid, but we don't go to Christ for it. We go other places. We go to books. Self-help books are some of the biggest selling books in our culture today. Um, we've even seen some, uh, some, some Christians who've written books on, on self-help. And listen, I'm not against helping yourself, but I'm telling you there will be times in your life where you're going to need aid that you can't get from yourself. You're going to need aid that only God can give. And he provides that kind of care and comfort for us. He provides aid when it's needed. I like the way the psalmist put it in Psalm 46, verse 1. 
The psalmist wrote it like this in Psalm 46, 1, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in our time of trouble. And then Isaiah 41, verse 10 says this. Isaiah said, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yeah, I will help you. Yea, I will uphold you with the right hand and powerful right hand of righteousness. Listen, we need to understand that God is there to bring the aid when we need it. One of the greatest examples of that is found in, the, in David. David in the Old Testament had turned and, and people had turned against him and he was, he was sought after to be killed. And, and, and there were many times where David felt that way. And who did David turn to for the aid that he needed? He turned to the one who could bring it, and that is the God the Father. And we have so many of his prayers in that manner written down in the book of Psalms. We have a bunch of those. There are other times where, where they needed aid that only God can give. If you ever question whether or not Jesus cares about you, you need to remember the aid that he brings us. And let me tell you something, church, that's not necessarily a, a bandage on your knee, okay? I do believe he brings us care in, in a lot of ways, but the greatest aid that he could ever give you or I, he accomplished on the cross, you see, on the cross, you and I, at, at that moment, we were in our greatest point of need in our life. We were lost, separated from God for all eternity, and we needed someone to come to our aid. And the only one that could do that was Jesus himself. If you ever doubt the care of Christ in giving us the aid that we need, you need to look at the cross. Because in the cross, he provided our greatest aid that we could ever have. He accomplished what we needed on the cross. You see, the, the truth is, in a text in Mark, we see this caring aid played out. In, in the book of Mark, in the story that I read, they came questioning his care, and before he teaches, now get this, before he teaches them anything, he takes care of the problem. Matter of fact, go back to Mark chapter 4. I want you to see this specifically. It's important. He says this, listen, they come to him, do you care? That's, that's what they ask him. Now look at what he does first in, in verse 39. Then he arose and rebuked. Now if I stopped right there, most of us would say he's about to rebuke them for questioning him. But that's not what he does. Look what he did first. Then he arose and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and then there was great calm. And then he addressed them. Then he talked to them. Then he taught them what they needed to know. He came to their aid first, and then he taught them what they needed. And we see that played out there. The truth is, we may be in a storm for a purpose. There may be a reason why we are where we are, whether or not it's because of a mistake we made or whether or not it's a test from God himself that he's wanting to use to, to strengthen our faith, to, to stretch us in our faith. That may be true, but we need to understand that even in that even in that storm, he doesn't leave you alone in it, and he will provide you the aid you need to get through it. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. There's never going to be a time where he doesn't have what you need to accomplish. You say, what if I'm laying on my deathbed and I'm about to take my last breath? Hasn't he abandoned me then? No, because on the cross, he provided the greatest aid that you and I would ever need, and that death no longer has any hold on you. 
So even if the storm is a sickness, even if the storm is a trauma, even if the storm is literally losing your life for your faith, even if the storm is that, it doesn't touch your salvation because he accomplished it on the cross and he provided the aid that you and I needed. So he provides comforting care, he provides an aiding care, and then the R stands for a restoring care. He gives us care in restoration. Now, last week we talked about the spiritual discipline of rest and its necessity for our spiritual health. In that, we saw that true rest only comes through the Lord. When you and I are wearied, worried, burdened, etc., and we need rest, he provides that kind of rest. It only comes for him. And so I want you to know that he provides restoring care through giving us that kind of rest that we talked about last week. But he not only provides restoration by giving us spiritual rest, he provides restoration in a couple other ways that we need. Number one, he restores our soul. Listen to the way David wrote in Psalm 23. We, we read this oftentimes at funerals, and sometimes we kind of breeze right over some of the text. But listen to what he says. He says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. And then he says this, He restores my soul. You know, sometimes our souls just get burdened. Sometimes our souls get down. Sometimes we just feel empty. Sometimes we feel unloved. Sometimes we feel dry. Sometimes we feel hurt. There's all kinds of things that can come into our life that can hinder our soul and bring us down in, in a spiritual way. And I want you to know the only one who can provide restoration and restore your soul is God. Only God can do that. Only God can take you from being downtrodden and hurt in your soul to being uplifted and glorified and, and encouraged. Only God can do that. So he provides restoration to us by restoring our soul, but he also provides restoration to us by restoring, listen to this, and I think there's a lot of us that need this. He restores the joy of our salvation. You know, one of the reasons why sometimes the church gets in a lull is because they've lost their joy. I, I, I like the way David, after his sin with Bathsheba in Psalm 51, you get his confessional prayer, his prayer of repentance. It's a great prayer. And in Psalm 51, this is what he says in verse 10 through 12. He says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me, and restore to me the joy of my salvation. You used to come back from kids camp, youth camp, whatever. Kids would be all excited and joyful. They'd come and they'd give their testimony and you'd hear their testimony. You'd see the joy. And one time in one of my early churches, they were up there giving a testimony. I had one kid in particular that man, he just caught fire. He was, he was on fire for the Lord and he'd come back and he couldn't wait to tell the church he couldn't wait to tell his friends. He couldn't wait to tell his family. He was just ready to tell everybody what God did for him when he met when he was with Christ at, at False Creek. And I'll never will forget after testimony service, there was this, this elderly person in our church, and I don't know that they meant anything by it, but they come by and he was just, just kind of jumping off the wall. He's just so excited. And this elderly person in our church came through the line and, and, and told him afterwards, don't worry, son. You'll get over that one of these days. And it burdened me. 
Because in my early ministry and some of the churches I served in, there was no joy in those churches. There was no joy in reaching young people. There was no joy in seeing people. People could get saved, and you'd have people just stand there. And not be, and I, and I never could understand that. How can you see God work in someone's life and not be excited? And what I've discovered is, if you're in that spot, then you need the re- joy of your salvation restored. You need to remember exactly what God gave you in Jesus. You see, before Jesus came, your life was not all that great. As a matter of fact, your spiritual life was nothing but death. And you were destined to spend an eternity separated from God. Not just a year. Not just five years. Not just 10 years. Not just 70 years. Not just 100 or 200 years. Not just the span of time that America has been here. What's that? 250 plus years. Not just that long. You were destined to spend a complete eternity that has no end. Listen, no end. Now, we talk about that word. We talk about infinity and math. We talk about eternity. We really can't grasp that because we live in a finite time. We have a beginning and we have an end, right? You have a birth and you have a death. There is no, it's hard for us to grasp that, but that's what the Bible says about eternal life. It is eternal. There is no end to it. And before Christ, you and I were destined to spend that eternity separated from him in a place of torment, in a place of turmoil, in a place of, the Bible describes, weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's what we deserved. That's where we were headed. And then Jesus comes and sacrifices himself on the cross of Calvary, Calvary, shedding his blood, giving you and I an opportunity to have a relationship with God again through repentance of our sin and faith in what Jesus did on the cross. And when we accepted that gift, you can't buy it. The kids learned that this week. You can't buy a free gift. You can only accept it. When we accepted that free gift of what Jesus did on the cross, we moved from death to life. And that's what we have to look forward to now. We need to remember that. We should never get over our salvation. There should never be a time where we outlive our, our joy in who we are as believers. should never be that time. And only Jesus can restore that. Some of you here, that you need that restored today. And here's, here's what I would encourage you to do. I would find some time today, sooner rather than later, either today or tomorrow or this week. And you need to get alone. You need to get away. You, not, not, not just away like from your job. I mean away. You need to get, get in your car, drive out to the lake. Get away. And just spend some time with the Lord, asking him specifically to restore the joy of your salvation. And then write down the specific blessings that you have specifically because of Jesus in your life. That would not be there without him. And if you can do that and not have joy restored to you, I would question whether or not you really have salvation at all. Now, that's not my place to judge you. I would just question. If you can sit down and, talk, and think about all the blessings that you have because of Jesus, and it doesn't bring joy to your heart, you may not have it. So he provides a restoring care. And then lastly is the letter E. He provides eternal care. The care that we have in Jesus is not just temporary. 
it doesn't, it doesn't just happen, and it's not just there when we need it most. It's there at all times, and it extends throughout all eternity. There is no end to the care that he gives you and I. Listen to how the uh, prophet Jeremiah said this in Jeremiah 31.3. He says, The Lord has appeared to me and said, You have loved, or sorry, you I have loved with, sorry, you I have loved you with an eternal love. Eternal. A never-ending love. I like the way John said it. He said it like this. To all who received him, Jesus, he gave the right to become a child of God. Now, here's the cool thing about that. That's an eternal promise. Because once you're a child, you're always a child. I've got three children that are mine. Galen, Garen, and Gabriella. And no matter what they do, they will always and ever be the child of Dwayne and Jenna Davis. When you and I become children of God, we will always be a child of God. We have eternal care. You're not going to come to a point where you outgrow his care. Listen, you will come to a point, and some of you in this room know exactly what, I'm, what I mean by this. You will come to a point where you outgrow the care that your parents can give you. Maybe it's because they literally physically can't give it to you. Maybe it's because they've already died in the Lord and they're not here to provide the care that you need. I, at Mother's Day, I used to hear, and I see it on Facebook still, every year at Mother's Day, uh, people that have lost their mothers that would talk about, you know, I'd give one more, I'd give anything for one more opportunity to talk to my mom. Because your mom normally is the comforting presence in the home. Normally, not always, but normally. And we want to talk to them, but sometimes our moms, they die. And, and, and we're not in a position to receive the care that they want to give us or would have if they were here. But you'll never outgrow the care of God in Christ. He's always going to be there for you to provide that. I'm going to sum it up like this. Romans, Paul said it like this, and I love this. And it's a great verse of Scripture. Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. Paul says, For I am persuaded... That neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, nor powers, nor things present or things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, listen, shall be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ. You see, as a follower of Christ, as a disciple of Christ, we have a care that, that transcends and goes beyond this earthly life and our earthly troubles. It follows us all the way through eternity. What a blessed amount of care that he gives for us. So what enabled Peter and the others to go from questioning Jesus' care for them, do you care, to emphatically stating to everyone, cast your cares upon the Lord, for he cares for you. That is an emphatic statement. He does care. He not, not he might. He does care. What led them to that? I believe that they experienced the true care of Jesus in their life. They experienced a comforting care. They experienced an aiding care. They experienced a restoring care. Peter Peter experienced a restoration. Peter denied Jesus three times. 
And what did Jesus could have just washed his hands of him? He didn't. He, he brought him back into the fold by gently restoring him. They experienced a restoring care, and they were experiencing an eternal care. You see, his care is seen in all of these issues. And though there are times when you and I may question whether or not anyone else cares about us, there may be a time when you think the whole world is against you. Maybe you even come to a point where you think the whole church is against you or your whole family is against you. You need to come to a point where you realize there may be a time where you feel that way from the world or from the things of the world like David did, but there is never a time as followers of Christ, there is never a time where we should ever question the care that Jesus brings us as his followers. So the question is, are you a follower? Are you a follower or are you not? 